So I was 11 years old and I had some buddies over at the house. And my mom says, hey, Brad, I got to run to the grocery store real fast. So she does what parents do. She says, don't answer the door to strangers. Like, don't go out and play in the front yard. Don't burn the house down while I'm gone. What she didn't say, and she should have said, was, Brad, don't slide down the stairs in a giant cardboard box. Because as soon as she left, my friends and I got this idea. We filled this big box full of pillows and blankets, and we got this idea to get in it, and, and, and we're going to go down the stairs. Me and a buddy inside, the other friend is going to push us down the stairs, and we'll just keep doing it until my mom gets home or until someone hurts themselves, which it turns out it didn't take that long, and I was the someone who hurt myself, because here's the thing, 11-year-olds don't understand physics. And I didn't understand that when we both, two of us, got in a box and we put it on a stair and it started to tilt, we weren't going to just gently go down the stairs. What we had made was a catapult. We had made a launcher for 11-year-old boys. And that's what we did. So my mom came home and my buddy had blood all over his face. He'd hurt his nose and I had a broken collarbone. But he, listen, here's the thing. We didn't let strangers in the house. We didn't burn it down. We just needed better instructions. Like no one told us that we shouldn't do this box on the stairs thing. When Jesus left the earth, Jesus was on earth. He died on a cross. He rose from the dead and he ascends into heaven. When he leaves the earth, does he give us good instructions? He tells his disciples, I'm, I'm going away, but there's going to be a day that I come back. Does he just go, hey, don't burn the place down while I'm gone? Or does he give us instructions for how we're to live and what we're supposed to do while he's gone? That's what I want to talk about today, because if he gave us instructions for what we're supposed to be doing right now, we probably want to know that. So I'd love for you to have a Bible in front of you today. Matthew 25 is where we're going to be. Grab your phone, go on the internet, look it up, use our app, Matthew 25. Of course, Jesus throughout his life gives lots of instructions, right? And most of his instructions are about loving each other. And some people are pretty easy to love. Other people are really hard to love. And Jesus says that something significant about his people that will be different is that we will love those who are hard to love, even people who are awkward to love. Because, you know, sometimes you and I are kind of hard to love. Like sometimes you're awkward to love, and, and I am also. And yet God loves us. And so the scene that we're going to look at is in the last few days of Jesus's life on earth. It's probably Wednesday. He's going to die on Friday and he's walking through the city of Jerusalem and he's talking to his friends, to the disciples, and he's telling them that he's going to leave them. He's hinting at his death, that he's going to leave for a time, but that he will come back. And he uses this awesome imagery. And if you want to read about that return and the way he describes it, you could check out Matthew 24. I would encourage you to do that. It's really fun to read. But we get to Matthew chapter 25 and he, he starts to talk to them and he gives instructions for what we're supposed to do while he's gone. Jesus has ascended to heaven. So in the space and time between when he goes to heaven and the day that he will return, he is coming back. There's an actual day he will come back. In that space and time, what are we supposed to be doing? And so he tells these three stories. 
three parables to illustrate. The first one is about some guests at a wedding. These guests are waiting for the groom to show up, and it's taking a little longer for the groom to get there than they expected. But eventually the groom does arrive, and what he finds is that some of the guests are patiently waiting. Some of the guests have totally given up on him, are totally unprepared for his arrival. And Jesus is basically saying, I'm like the groom, and I'm going to come back. Are you going to be ready? He tells another story. This one's about an employer who's going away on a journey, and he tasks his employees with taking care of his stuff while he's gone. And the employer, the master, comes back, and what he finds is that two of his employees have been working diligently. They have put to work the things that he gave them, and so they have something to show when he comes back. The third employee, not so much. The third employee's been doing nothing while he's gone. And so the master comes back, and the third employee has nothing to show. He's totally unprepared for his return. And again, it's Jesus sort of pushing on us where he's going, I'm, I'm, I'm going away, but I'm coming back. Are you ready? What are you doing in light of the fact that I'm coming back? What are you doing in your life to prepare for that moment? He tells a third story. It's less ambiguous than the others. This story is about the return of a king. And the story that Jesus tells goes like this, Matthew 25, starting in verse 31. Here's what he says. He says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another, one from another, one from another, one at a time. He will separate them as a shepherd separates sheep from goats. He will put the sheep on his right and he will put the goats on on his left. Jesus seems to be describing this scene. I think it's about him. One day he will take a seat on his throne and all of history will be gathered before him. And he will separate out people. The Bible describes he's separating them as a shepherd does sheep and goats. And it seems like he's separating out his people, categorizing sheep and goats. We don't need to get deep into why he uses the analogy of sheep and goats, other than just to say this goats by their nature. Goats are very destructive animals. Sheep are not perfect, but goats are destructive. In fact, even when they eat, goats eat grass, they rip it up by the roots. They will destroy a field. They're just destructive. And the people that are listening that day, they know that. They they, they get this analogy. Verse 34, Jesus says, Then the king will say to those on his right, these are the sheep, Come. You who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, this kingdom that's prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? When did we see you thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you as a stranger and invite you in or see you as needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? The king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did that for me. 
So lots to unpack here, and we're going to go deep for a while today. But just if we back up sort of at the highest level, if we could just put kind of a summary to this, what is Jesus saying? What are these instructions that he's given us? I think it's this, is that God's people see people in need and provide for them. I think just at the highest level, what he's describing is that God's people see people in need and provide for them. And this is not new information. This isn't a new challenge. This is not a new set of instructions. It seems that God has always been talking like this. God has always categorized his people as their assignment, their task is to care for people around them. Because watch this, 700 years before Jesus was speaking, there was a guy named Isaiah. He was a prophet in the Old Testament. And he's talking about, Isaiah writes about the purpose of worship and fasting. Listen to what he says. He says, isn't the purpose, is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide to the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked to clothe them, and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. I mean, it seems like that language is pretty similar to what Jesus is saying. It seems like Jesus is picking up on something that these people would know from 700 years earlier. But it didn't start there. It's actually even older than that, because about six or 700 years before that, God told Moses to write down these words. He said, and you are to love those who are foreigners, For you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. What Jesus is telling his disciples, the instructions he seems to be giving, that his people are to see people and to care for them, this is not a new idea. It seems like by the time Jesus speaks, for millennia, this has been the pattern that God has been trying to instill in his people. My people see people and provide for them. And what did Jesus say? He says, this is a category of people. We're going to call these sheep. On the right are the sheep. He says, my people, these are people who care for. These are people who provide for those in need. But there was a group of people on the left, right? The goats. Let's hear what he says about that. Verse 41. Then it says, then he will say to those on the left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels, for I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger. You didn't invite me in. I needed clothes. You didn't clothe me. I was sick in prison. You didn't look after me. He's he's describing the opposite of the sheep, right? They answer, the goats answer, Lord, when? When did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison? And we didn't help you. They're taking it literally. Wait a minute, Jesus. We didn't see you hungry. We didn't see you thirsty. I mean, we would have helped if we'd have seen it, but we didn't see it. We would have jumped right in and clothed you if we saw you without clothes. We didn't didn't see that, Jesus. They're taking him literally. Listen to what he says. Verse 45, the king replies, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Yikes. People have done all sorts of wacky things with Matthew 25. We're not going to do anything wacky, okay? Just this is not a story of salvation in that people, Jesus is not saying that people who feed 
the hungry and give drink to the thirsty and, and shelter to the homeless, that they inherently go to heaven, and people who didn't do that inherently go to hell. This is not a story of salvation. This is, it's a parable. We don't build theology on parables. Here's what a parable does. It gives us a window. It gives us a picture right into the heart of God. That from really the beginning of humanity, through the words of Christ, that God says his desire is, I want my people to be markedly different. I want them to be the kind of people who see people in need and who provide for them, who serve them, who care for them. And so Jesus' instructions to us, he says, I'm going away, but I'm coming back. Here's the instructions. See people. See people in need and take care of them. And here's the danger. Here's what I think we so often do with a passage like this. We go, okay, here's what this means. I got to run out of here and I got to go sign up to work at a soup kitchen and I've got to give shelter to the homeless and I should probably just sell everything I own and give it to the poor. And if we don't slow down for a minute, if we make this all about behavior and we don't slow down for a minute, just sort of back up and go, why is Jesus saying this? What is going on in Jesus's heart that he's giving us these instructions to care for his people, to see people in need and to love them and to provide for them? If we don't think of that, we cheapen the heart of Christ. If we oversimplify this, that all I have to do is I have to feed people and give people clothes and give people shelter, and then like I can show Jesus my scorecard, and then he'll let me into heaven one day. If that's what we've made this out to be, we have cheapened the heart of Christ. See, here's what happens. We, we get this idea in our mind that Jesus is looking for good people who've done good things, and then when we get to heaven, we show him our scorecard, and he lets us in. He's the heavenly bouncer. He stands at the gate, and he decides if we get to go in the club or not, right? Is that who Jesus is? Set Matthew 25 aside just for a second. Let me, let me show you Luke 4. Jesus speaking in Luke 4. This is when Jesus starts his ministry as he's getting going. He says these words in Luke 4, and this is sort of like the Jesus, this is like the Jesus mission statement right here, okay? Jesus speaking. Listen to what he says. He says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Pay attention. There's going to be a test in just a second. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free to claim the year of the Lord's favor. Listen to those words. Think about that. Is there anything in there where Jesus is saying, hey, um, do a bunch of good stuff so you can go to heaven? Like, no. You don't hear anything like that about do a bunch of good stuff and then Jesus will let you into heaven one day. But the problem is we so often make following Jesus and obeying Jesus about do behavior get into heaven. But see, that's, that's not the point. And we so often make Jesus's arrival on earth. We get, we get this in our mind that Jesus came to earth so that one day we could go to heaven. And if we will just be good little boys and girls and we'll follow all the rules that when we get to the end of this life and we leave the earth, we will go to heaven. Here's the deal. If we have a relationship with Jesus at the end of this life, whether it's through death or Christ calling us home, we will go to heaven. Eternal life is, is safe. It is secured for us. But that's not the point. Jesus didn't come here just so that we could check the box and, and he could let us into heaven. Jesus actually left heaven. Get this. Jesus actually left heaven and came 
to bring heaven to earth. That's why he came. Yes, it's true. He died on a cross for our sins, and that is our salvation and eternal life. Praise God. But Jesus didn't just come here to punch our ticket. Jesus actually came here to bring the goodness, the joy, the love of heaven to the earth. And his command to us is to do the same, that we follow Jesus, we live and love like Jesus so that we might in some small way, through our love, bring heaven to earth, that you and I might love people and in that they might experience joy and peace and kindness from heaven here on earth now. This is why Jesus teaches us to pray. God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus' desire is that heaven would come here now and that people would experience the, 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 the freedom of that, the joy of that. This life of following Jesus isn't, hey, punch my ticket so I can get into heaven. Yes, that's where salvation begins, but it's not just like we cross the line and go, okay, I'm good now. No, this is what we get to be a part of. All the goodness and love and joy, we can, we're pulling that through the love of Christ towards the earth. That's what Matthew 25 is talking about. That we bring heaven, the love and goodness of God to earth now. We see people in need and we help them. We see people that are hungry. We see people that are thirsty. We see people that are outsiders, that are strangers, that are without clothing, that are without shelter, that are sick. And God does not go, hey, you know, suck it up. You'll go to heaven someday. He goes, no, I want the goodness of heaven to intersect with their lives so they experience the joy of heaven on earth now. Do you get that? Do you see that? That's the instruction Jesus is giving us, that his people would be the kind of people who love and help and care for, especially those people in need. And through our love, through our kindness, people would experience a glimpse of heaven. Obviously, not in its full magnitude that we will someday live in every moment of the day for eternity, but in some way that people would experience life in heaven on earth now. We are the vehicles, you and me, to bring goodness, the goodness of heaven here on earth. But I don't think he stops there. This is a really complex passage. Chase it, just chase it with me for a minute. Go a little bit deeper with me a minute, because I don't think he stops there. I think we read all this at a service level, and we go, okay, we have to meet physical needs. But I actually think Jesus is talking about more. I think that, yes, we should meet physical needs, but I think he's touching on the spiritual as well. Go back to the passage with me for a minute. Let me, let me show you what I'm thinking, and you can sort of make up your own mind. I think there's something both physical and spiritual going on, because think about the things that Jesus says. He says, you're going to see people who are hungry. Do, have you seen people that are hungry? Of course. And what should we do? We should feed them, right? We should provide food for them. But do you know someone who's spiritually hungry? Someone who's looking for some sort of substance? They're looking for life. They're looking for joy. You do, right? And, and so we feed people if they're physically hungry. But doesn't Jesus say, doesn't he say that he's the bread of life? That he's what spiritually we eat to sustain us? How about thirsty? You find somebody who's thirsty, what should you do? Give them water. Give them something to drink. But have you met somebody who's spiritually thirsty? Who's looking for 
they're just dry. They're looking for meaning and peace in their life. Of course. Doesn't Jesus say that he is the river of living water? How about strangers? You know any people that are outsiders? I, I, I mean, what comes to my mind is, is the refugees from Afghanistan, right? That are, they're outsiders. What should we do for them? We should care for them. We should provide for them. We should take care of them. But doesn't the Bible say that we're all estranged from God, that because of our sin, we're separated from God, but through Christ, we could actually be adopted into the family of God? Do you see how, at least it seems to me, there's something spiritual going on here. It is caring for people physically, but also spiritually, because keep going. Jesus says, if you see someone unclothed, what should you do if you see someone unclothed? Please give them clothes quickly, okay? But the Bible says that we can be clothed in righteousness. How about sick? If you see somebody who's sick, what do you do? Take them some chicken noodle soup. Take care of them. But doesn't Jesus say, I didn't come for the healthy, I came for the sick? He's talking about spiritually. Jesus calls himself a spiritual physician. Prison. There are people who are both rightfully and wrongfully in prison. What should we do for them? We should make sure their needs are met. We should make sure they're safe. We should make sure they're being taken care of. We should encourage them. We should visit them. But the Apostle Paul says that we were all prisoners. We were slaves to sin. But through Christ, we've been bought, and we are now slaves, again, to righteousness. Is there something spiritual going on here that it's not just physical, that Jesus is not saying, hey, just, just feed people and take care of them? There's actually a spiritual component here? I, I think there might be. I love how Jesus weaves together both the physical and the spiritual. We're so quick to separate, to divorce the two. But if his vision is that heaven comes to earth now, that is both a physical and spiritual experience. So I think God is calling his people to be on the lookout for physical needs and to provide for people. And I think we're on the lookout for spiritual needs where only the love of Christ will satisfy. Go, go, one, go just one layer deeper with me. Again, like I said, I know this is complex. Go just one deeper, and then we'll figure out what to do. Listen to what Jesus says. He says this back in verse 40, right? He says, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did this for me. That's interesting, because Jesus is giving this weight. He's giving this uh, a magnitude. This isn't like go, you know, one day of your life and go serve people that are in need. He's giving a, a, a heaviness to this, a significance to this. And he uses the phrase brothers and sisters. Who's he talking about? When Jesus uses the phrase brothers and sisters, he's not typically talking about his biological siblings, though he had those. He's talking about the family of God. And he's going, when you serve the family of God, you serve people in need. It's like you are serving me. Whoa. So we have our instructions, it seems. Jesus goes, I, I, I'm going away for a while. Don't burn the house down. No, he gives us better than that. He goes, here's your instructions. In light of the fact that I'm going away for a time, I'm coming back and I'm tasking you with, with seeing people, which means, by the way, you got to look up from your own life, 
you can't just be focused on yourself all the time. You have to look up to see people, to see needs, and to walk into their mess and, and their experience and actually provide for them. Jesus goes, this is, this is your, your instruction. In light of the fact that I'm coming back, what are you doing with your life? It's like he just sort of pushes that over to us. Are you ready? He's going, are you, if I come back right now, are you going to be surprised? Are you ready? Have you been following my instruction? Are you, are you living the way I've asked you to? Because we're all going to stand before him. We're going to give an account of our lives. He's coming back. He's going, what? while I've been in heaven, he sends to the hand, right hand of the Father. He goes, while I've been there, what have you been doing in the in-between? Let's get specific about this for just a moment. If the challenge is to see people and to care for them, we go, okay, how do we do that? Just a couple things if you're a note taker you might want to write down is this. Number one is that loving people means seeing them as precious. We're not going to love people if we don't see them first as, as valuable. Jesus left us here with an assignment. My assignment is to see you and to provide for your needs. Your assignment is to see me and provide for my needs. That's the task we've been given. That in a small way, in the way we love each other, we would bring the goodness of heaven to earth, but we won't do that if we don't see each other as valuable. Have you ever had a bad babysitter? When I was a kid, we had a bad babysitter. I was actually at a friend's house, and uh, his parents left us with this babysitter who she was great while they were still there. And then they left to go out and she was awful. I mean, she didn't pay attention to us. We were like, can you make us dinner? And she's like, nah, I got my own thing going on, whatever. She would like not even pay attention to us. I mean, imagine, imagine you're a parent and you leave your kids with a babysitter and you come home and you find out that the babysitter was like neglectful and didn't feed your children and like let your kids just run around and do whatever they want and, and, and didn't pay attention to them. You got the baby crying over in the corner. Are mom and dad going to be happy? Of course not. Jesus left us an assignment that every person we see, every person we brush by, every person we make eye contact with, every person we engage in conversation, that person is made in the image of God, valuable to our Heavenly Father. We've been tasked with caring for each other. But we won't do it if we don't see each other as precious. Instead, what we'll do is this. We'll see people who aren't like us, who live differently than we do, and we'll go, we'll make judgments. We'll go, I wonder what they did. I wonder how they winded up, wound up in that situation. I wonder what they did to train wreck their life. We'll have all these, these judgments on them. Well, if you just get a job, maybe your life would be better. I mean, what else you got? That's what I do, right? You start making these judgments about people, and they could be marginalized, they could be oppressed, but we make all these judgments. But no, Jesus is going, every person you meet is valuable to me. They better be valuable to you. They better be precious to us. It's so easy to go, I got my own problems. You don't understand. I've got so much going on in my own life. I know, me too. But I, I, you know, I think about this the character of Jesus who had so much going on in his own life, right? He's got the Pharisees trying to kill him. He's got an endless line of people that want to be healed. My favorite story in the Bible is um, it's this picture. Jesus is hanging on the cross. And remember, there's a guy next to him. There's this criminal hanging on a cross next to him. And, and the guy goes, psst, Jesus, hey, psst, over here. And you, there's this, you sort of have this thought because there's this moment where you're like wondering if Jesus is going to go, bro, I, I'm kind of busy right now. Like, 
and, and, and the guy goes, Hey, don't, um, don't forget about me. You know, when you, when you start your kingdom, when you go into your dad's kingdom, please don't forget, forget about me. And it's like, Jesus could have easily gone, you know, I'm, I'm busy. You know, maybe you should have thought of this sooner. Maybe you should have made better life choices that didn't end you up on a cross next to me, but he doesn't. He goes today. I mean, Jesus is bearing the weight of sin for all mankind for all time. And he stops and he looks at the man and he goes today, you'll be with me in paradise. Imagine the kind of love that sees that man, not as a criminal, not as dirty, not as unworthy, but in this incredibly important moment in time, the kind of love that stops and sees that person as precious and valuable. My challenge to you is to love like that. The challenge to me is the same. Do you see people as precious and inherently valuable, made in the image of God with a soul that will last forever? That is going to radically shape how we serve people. Number two, Loving people means serving them like I would serve Jesus. And, and this goes back to, we looked at it a minute ago, what he says. Whatever you do for the least of these, you did for me. Jesus, again, is, is going throwback to the Old Testament here. Proverbs 19 says that anyone who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord. So Jesus is going, you are to have the same intensity in serving anyone as if you were serving me. If you're a parent, you get this. Because you watch the way people treat your kids, right? If you love my kids well, you've loved me well. If you treat my kids well, you treat me well. Jesus goes, you serve my children the same way you would serve if you were serving me. You see a need? You run towards them in that need as fast as you would run, as if it was literally me with that need. A physical need. You see a spiritual need. You see someone who's depressed, who's broken, who's sad. You run towards them as fast as you would run if that was Jesus himself. That's what he's saying. I love this verse. I'll just throw this one in here. Hebrews, in Hebrews 13, it says, To show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some have unknowingly entertained angels. I don't know what that means, but it's cool. Like, I, I love that. You see, though, that throughout history, the kind of people that God is molding and shaping, calling to himself, he's going, my people see people. They see them in their need, and they don't walk away, and they don't go, that's not my problem, that's filthy. They got themselves in that spot. My people walk towards it and serve and love. Let me just end with this thought. Sometimes I think a passage like this will make us feel guilty. We go, man, I haven't fed enough people. I haven't clothed enough people. I haven't opened my home to enough people. Whatever it is, we, we, we go, my scorecard, it, it isn't full. Please don't do that. That's shaming. Jesus never shames. Please don't beat yourself up. That's not the point of this, remember? The point of this is to bring heaven here. So maybe it's really simple. In fact, maybe I've oversimplified it, but to me, it's like this. Just love people. Provide for them. Care for them physically and spiritually. If someone is hungry, feed them. But if someone's spiritually hungry, encourage them. 
Talk to them about hope and Jesus. If someone's sick, go and visit them. Take care of them. But don't hesitate to pray for someone also. If you see just something in their life, you go, they, they need someone to pray for them. Do it. Because they're valuable. And because God's told us to. Those are our instructions. Love people. Last thing, just listen. Hebrews 6, verse 10 says this. It says, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love that you have shown him as you've helped his people and you continue to help them. Let's pray. Father and our God, this is hard stuff. It is hard to think about loving people that are hard to love, that are awkward to love, that are different than us. It's hard to think about loving people that are marginalized. We need your help. God, I confess all the times that I've looked at someone and thought they're not really worth my time and my love. They got themselves into that situation. They should have made better choices. God, please help us to see people as valuable. God, help us to look up from our own stuff. We, you, you know, God, how much we have going on in our own lives, but help us to look up from there that we would see people in need. Maybe it's a stranger. Maybe all we have to offer is a smile or a word of encouragement. But maybe it's a meal. Maybe it's praying for someone. Help us to not turn away. Maybe it's someone who's part of a, a group of people that, you know, we don't understand. Maybe they're different than us. Maybe they're marginalized. And so it's so, we go, it's not my problem. I don't agree with them. No, God, help us open our eyes that we would see everyone as valuable and precious. Maybe it's someone at work and we haven't been looking, but man, they have a need. They need a friend. They need joy. Maybe it's someone in our family close to us who has a physical need. We've been withholding what they need. Show us how to love. Jesus, you pray that God's will would come from heaven and be known and done here on earth. Please help us to be vehicles to bring the good news and the goodness of heaven here. God, thanks that you loved us and that you love us each and every day when it's hard to love us because we're awkward. We're difficult to love. Thank you, Jesus, that in the moment we see you on the cross, you're not too busy for anyone. You care about every last one. You just love us. Thank you, God, for your love. It's through Christ, I pray. Amen.